Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for if you joined us here live uh, in person or if you're tuning in online, it is a blessing to have you for choosing you or for having you choose us uh, to join this morning. My name is Ron. I'm one of the elders here. It's just a blessing to, to uh, be in front of you, to be able to share some things that, that God's been laying in my heart. Uh, Pastor Drew is out. He is um, serving another church this morning, so you're kind of stuck with me. So uh, if you have any complaints, uh, just send it to uh, Darren at ForefrontChurch.tv, uh, right? <laughs> so have you ever wished that uh, you could just win the jackpot? It'd be kind of nice, right? You know, that, that you could win something that, that could, like, change your life. And I think some of us, when we sit here and we think about something like a jackpot, you know, there, there's kind of this inherent thing in us that, that would like something to happen that could change our life like that. Something pretty quick. You know that one of the largest jackpots actually just happened recently in July, and it was the Mega Millions lottery, and it was at $1.3 billion. <laughs> right, that's a lot of money. And it was, it was one ticket that was sold in, in Illinois, and, uh, and the person or persons uh, kept themselves anonymous, which is probably a good thing. Right, to, to win $1.3 billion, you probably don't want a whole lot of people to know that you won that. But it's fun to think of, of what can you do if you had $1.3 billion. Right, you could go buy a house, one of those houses they have in the Prada Homes, pretty awesome homes, right? Or you could buy a house that was owned by maybe a former NFL player. Right? Usually those houses are pretty decked out. Right? I'm, I'm pretty sure Russell Wilson's house will be on sale here pretty soon. Um, <laughs> I know, and I'm a Broncos fan, too. That hurt a little bit. Um, or you can go and buy one of these rare exotic cars. Like, there's this car. It's the Bugatti La Voiture Noire. Yeah, this, is, this car here, pretty amazing, is $18 million just for this one car. It's kind of funny, too. The, the name La Voiture Noire means the black car. Pretty original, right? But every time you slap in some, some French words, you know, things seem to be more expensive. Or maybe, you know, you, you like to collect shoes. You know, there's, there's some Nike Jordans out there that are pretty pricey. You know, so what, whatever it may be, you know, people play the lottery to win a jackpot that, to, to get a chance and a hope to, to change their lives. It's a hope for, for something maybe better than what they have right now. But the sad and ugly truth is that 70% of people who've won the lottery have spent all their winnings within five years. Pretty nuts. You know, I don't know how much they've won. You know, maybe it's a million dollars, a million dollars, still a lot of money. But, you know, I don't know what the range is, but 70% within five years have spent it all. It's a pretty sad truth that the joy that they had when they won or had that, that winning lottery ticket uh, was really uh, temporary. Right? The, the happiness they had uh, was fleeting. So it begs the question, so what do we really want in life here? Do we think something like, like a jackpot will buy us some form of happiness or, or some true form of happiness? Uh, do we want the prestige that maybe something like this, winning $1.3 billion, would give us? Uh, would it make us feel more important that maybe 
we have something that no one else has. Maybe we're just looking for heaven on earth. So what is heaven on earth really? What does it look like to you? This is this one truth is this. Jesus came to offer us new life. That what changes your life is Jesus. So really, in effect, you win the jackpot because of him and because his sacrifice for us and for the salvation that he's offered us. That's really the jackpot. So as we continue here, let's, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for today. Thank you for another day of life that we can come before you to, uh, to know more about you, that you would open our hearts to the words you would have us hear uh, and open our hearts and our minds and really our lives to you this morning uh, to, to live a life that, that could be changed for you. Because when we give our lives to you, we are a new creation. We thank you so much for today. We just thank you so much, my family here, that we come together to honor your name, to acknowledge who you are, and to sing uh, blessings and honor to you and, and to learn about your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wonder if we have the wrong perspective or imagination of what heaven really is like. Do we allow the values of this world or the values of the society to kind of become a part of what, how we view heaven? Do we blend the values of this world to help create how we view heaven? Because it's all we know, right? What we know here is what this world has to offer. So I kind of wonder sometimes if we tainted a little bit of what heaven is like to us because of us living here. So as we continue the series, uh, A New Hope, which is very Star Wars-y, which I really like, we have to ask ourselves, um, what is happiness to you? Now, we'll look into another gospel here, the gospel of Matthew, and dive into the first part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus comes and starts teaching to a crowd of people. So if you would, let's, let's pull over to uh, Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible on you, uh, but would you like one, we do have some Bibles up front uh, in, the, in the lobby. You can grab a Bible. It's free to you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, please take one of those and, and give one to them as well. Also, if you have a smartphone, you could pull up the YouVersion app and pull the Bible off of that as well. So in Matthew chapter 5, you really kick off Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But before that, we've learned in Matthew chapter 4 of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Really, it's where after that he kicks off his ministry. And this is where he starts to build his following, his disciples. And then as he goes around and teaches, he's healing people. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. And people know and hear about this. And so they start bringing people who are sick to him. Because he has this power to heal. And so Jesus, as he's seeing more and more crowds come, he starts heading towards the mountain with his disciples. And before his, his the crowd gets there, this is where we start in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 1 it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened up his mouth and taught them. 
So before the crowd began to gather here, Jesus pulls his disciples aside. And I'm sure, you know, some people are, are starting to gather uh, on the mountain there. But, but he's wanting to talk to disciples first. And then as the Sermon on the Mount progresses, more and more people show up. And so he's telling his, his disciples here, and this is really, uh, he starts off with a message for them, but really it's a message for us all. And, and you look at where the disciples' lives are at this moment. What is their relationship with Jesus up to this point? Right? They were his associates, so obviously they're a little bit closer to him. With the large crowds following Jesus, they, they probably looked and thought that, wow, you know, there's a little bit of a celebrity-like gathering going on here, right? We have the celebrity-like status because we're followers of Jesus, that we know Jesus very well, and all these crowds want to go and follow him. So there would be a temptation to feel important. There'd be a temptation to have this pride, and maybe a temptation of being possessive, possessive of Jesus, because he's this celebrity now. Being with Jesus not only gave them this prestige, but potentially this opportunity to maybe gain some money and some power because they're followers of him. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside, and he tells them that to be a follower of me, don't expect fame and fortune here. Instead, there's going to be some mourning, hunger, and persecution. Yikes. You know, I'm sure the, the disciples were looking at each other thinking, wow, you know, what do we sign up for here? You know, I thought maybe this would be like a cool little road that'll, that'll get us to some, maybe some popularity, but also just learning from, the, from, from this teacher. We didn't know that we're probably going to get persecuted for being his follower. But he also assured them that they would be rewarded, maybe not in this life, but life eternal. So it's not going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Drew said, you can't say Jesus is the Savior of the world and then not have an intent of following him at all. The Sermon on the Mount shows us the kind of life we are meant to live, where grace comes first and then obedience. It's not a list of you should do this or don't do this. Right? Instead, it's a lesson of a blessed ours. They're not commands, but instead they're beatitudes. And beatitudes meaning that, meaning that they're blessedness. Uh, it's a state of great joy. So what does blessedness and blessed mean? It's really, it's true happiness. That's what that means. It's a deeper, longer lasting, it's a persistent State, it's not fleeting, not like the, the lottery money. We all have in our minds of what it means to be happy, don't we? You know, there's this, this, this um, imagination or this, this thing that we want to try to strive that's called the American dream, maybe, right? Where we're very successful in what we do, we make a lot of money, we uh, get married, we, we have kids, we live in this beautiful home with a white picket fence. Yeah, whatever it might be, the American dream is different for all of us. But, but one thing to remember is that happiness in the kingdom of God is opposite of what this culture is or, or what this culture thinks it is. It's like the upside down, right, in, the stra in Stranger Things. 
Right? It's opposite of what we think it is. What it means to be happy is to live in the kingdom of God. When Jesus speaks of blessing, it is in something that's more enduring. It's not something that, that moth and rust can destroy. So what does it look like to live in this upside down? Let's take a look. So in Matthew chapter 5, let's continue in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit are folks who are spiritually bankrupted. They have a keen awareness of their nothingness toward God. They can't put their best foot forward because they don't have one. They are not self-reliant because they know they can only rely on God. A really great example of this is in Luke chapter 18. This is a, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector where you have this Pharisee who's praying out loud, saying, thank you, God, for, for not making me like these other dudes who are sinners, these people who are adulterers, uh, slanderers, like, or even like this tax collector over here. Thank you, God, for not making me like them. But thank you also for blessing me that you know, I, I fast twice a year, I tithe everything that I have. And he's almost like making it known to the world as he's praying out loud, hey, I'm awesome. And yet there's this tax collector who's here on his knees, not looking down, beating his chest, saying, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. It's pretty obvious here who is poor in spirit, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 5, let's continue in verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn or grieve know the negative impact of sin. They're aware of the negative impact of sin. And they understand the brokenness of the world as it is. In Romans, it says that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. They have this, the people who, who mourn, they have this longing for restoration, for, for something better. They understand that the world likes to numb the pain, whether it be through alcohol, drugs, and dare I say it, maybe sometimes going to the movie or playing video games, right? It's not bad to go to the movies or play video games once in a while, but if you're using that to escape reality and not deal with the things that are happening in this world, that becomes a problem. It becomes a problem when you numb yourself from the pain that you probably need to work on, but instead fall into just watching movies all day and playing video games all day. Jesus says, blessed are the those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, because he will make all things new. Pastor Bob Toon, who's a pastor at Quorum Dio Church, he says this, if we don't mourn for the world then this, then this doesn't mean much to you. It means that if you don't understand that, that, that sin is breaking and damaging this world, then maybe you just don't really mourn too much because you just don't have that understanding and, and you can't relate to what's happening right now. Let's continue in verse 5. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Being meek is not being weak. Right? Uh, meek is, is a disposition, not a demeanor, where a demeanor is more like 
like body language or a facial expression, whereas the disposition is more controlled, right? It's your temperament. It's how you're made up. It's maybe your habitual uh, mood. They are not worried about what people think. Instead, they are submitted to God and trust in his providence. Jesus says that they, the meek, shall inherit the earth. So there's this great hope in heaven coming to earth as it's described in Revelation chapter 21. So these three verses capture this one simple truth, and it's this. They expose our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. They expose our need for a Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus starts off his sermon with words that seem to contradict each other. How can you be blessed if you are poor in spirit? How can you be blessed if you mourn? How can you be blessed if you're meek? It doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense, does it? Living the way that God wants us to live usually contradicts the way the world tells us we should live. Not a surprise. But Jesus starts here in the Sermon on the Mount because it's the foundation of what he's talking about throughout the whole chapter. You have to realize that you won't be good enough to get it all figured out. It's it's not about your efforts to get there. There's no amount of education or life experience to get you to a place where you're complete, where you feel like you've arrived. Right? In Philippians 1, uh, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will fall to the day of completion, the day of Jesus. Right? Where, where he'll bring it to completion, and Jesus is the one that can do it. So if you're always trying to get there, to always get to a place where you feel like you arrived, you're always going to try to fill your cup with things that the world thinks it's best. You'll always be trying to hit the jackpot. Jesus wants you to realize that you need saving. This is what the Old Testament laws said back then. This is what the, the Ten Commandments were, were meant for. It was meant for Israel to realize that they needed God, and that's no different for us today. As followers of Jesus, we have to see that we need Jesus first before we could ever find happiness fulfillment, and joy. So do you recognize that what you need, this world can't offer? Do you feel that sense inside of you that maybe there's something missing or or something that's wrong? C.S. Lewis says it best, and he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This leads into our next observation as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus describes our calling as we live in this world. So let's continue in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So I don't know about you, but about this time, um, I'm usually pretty hungry. <laughs> um, and there are days where it feels like my stomach is eating itself. And usually when I'm Serving, either if I'm on the band or I'm doing what I'm doing right now, I get up pretty early, so I eat breakfast kind of early. So about this time, I'm, I'm pretty hungry. And fortunately, my stomach's not growling yet, probably because I'm just popping in a bunch of cough drops. 
But a few weeks ago, um, I was pretty hungry. I was leading, helping lead worship, and then we also had our elder meeting after church. It was around 1230 or so. But what we did as, as elders, we, we used DoorDash, and we ordered some food from this pretty amazing uh, chicken sandwich place, which is not Chick-fil-A. Uh, they're closed on Sunday, if you didn't know. But we ordered from this Chick-fil-A, uh, not Chick-fil-A, <laughs> from this chicken sandwich place. And uh, man, I got to tell you, it, it was uh, it pretty, it hit the spot. You know, it was very satisfying. And the thing about hunger is that it will persist and, and it won't go away until it is satisfied. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they hunger and thirst to be free from sin. They hunger and thirst to be right with God, to be redeemed. They're not satisfied until they're redeemed. Not satisfied until the world is redeemed. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The merciful people, people, uh, these people are, are active in the pursuit of mercy. They are compassionate and generous. They act to relieve suffering. They, they move to act due to what they see. I don't know about you, but every time I see the ASCPA commercial about the, you know, the puppies and the dogs, you know, the, the hungry dogs, and they play this really sad music and stuff, and you know, it makes me sad. It's, it really hits me, right? It's only $20. You can, you can keep them from being hungry. Right? I just saw it again last night, and it just kind of hits me. I want to save them all. You know, I want to take them all home. But then I become a hoarder. But what about the Compassion International commercials? Or the St. Jude commercials that we see? How are we hit by that? Does that, does that move you to, to act? Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And, and one thing to be clear is that Jesus is not saying you will earn the mercy because, from him because you're showing mercy. Right? Mercy is freely given. It's not earned. But, but it's interesting the way he words this. It almost does sound like, hey, I'm, I'm going to show you mercy if you show mercy to others. But that's not what he's trying to say. But it's interesting that it sounds that way because the thing about Jesus, when he teaches his words, sometimes, it just makes you think. Like, what is he saying here, really? Perhaps what he's trying to say is that if you are not merciful, you tend to have a hard time receiving or accepting mercy. Let that soak in a little bit. Marinate some. That's a tough one. In verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who here has a pure heart? Now, don't raise your hand, because you'll be judged. <laughs> I think really no one does, right? No one really has a pure heart, per se. Our hearts are naturally deceitful and wicked, for all have sinned, right? It's not some, it's all. All have fallen short to the glory of God. So knowing this should force us to mercy, that we need Jesus' mercy and grace in our lives. Pastor Drew said that following Jesus isn't blind faith. Following Jesus is more than just knowing about Jesus, but by encountering Jesus. So following Jesus begins by encountering Jesus. Being, being pure in heart is incorporating 
incorporating ourselves into Jesus. It's not merely imitating uh, him, but living as he tells us to live, hearing what he says and then doing it. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Those who are peacemakers, just like the, the merciful, they actively pursue peace. They want to restore what is broken. They are called sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. And God being the one who made peace with us when he sent his son Jesus. Living in this world means we are... We're going to contradict the world. What we do and what we say won't align to what the world's expectation is. They won't align to what society's expectations are. The world primarily is self-serving in general. So and from their perspective, they would think, who in their right mind would set aside self in order to serve others? If the people expect retaliation, then why would they expect peace? You don't have to be an Enneagram 9, which is a personality profile. It tells you that you're a peacemaker. You choose to be a peacemaker. What would it look like if we began to become peacemakers? There'd be so much talk about justice, but what, what can we do about it? There's a show I've been enjoying on Disney Plus called She-Hulk. I don't know if anyone's uh, seen She-Hulk. But She-Hulk is, um, is a cousin uh, of the Hulk, and her name is Jen Walters. So in, like, in human form, she's, uh, she's Jen Walters, this lawyer. And then in her superhero form, she's She-Hulk. Uh, so in one of these episodes, uh, Jen Walters was, was sitting with a, another lawyer contemplating, you know, I don't really know if this job I'm doing is fulfilling. It feels like sometimes I'm always helping out people who don't, deserve to be helped. You know, and so she's just wondering, am I even doing the right thing? And so this other lawyer that she's talking to says this to her. He says, you are in a unique position to do some real good. Jen Walters can use the law to help people when society fails them, and then She-Hulk can help people when the law fails them. It almost sounds like, uh, hey, go out and be a vigilante in She-Hulk version, right? That's... That's not my message here. <laughs> so don't go out and become a vigilante because you think justice is broken. All right. What, what we're trying to say here is that we are in a u- unique position to do some real good where we're at. You know, Jen Walters in her human form can help folks from using the law as a lawyer. Us in human form, we can help people around our community. We can help people in this church. We can help people in need in our human form. But sometimes in our human form, we help people with, with, with their spiritual life, with their, their journey with Jesus. We, we're limited, Right? And so this is when we need superficial or, or, or super, our superhero to help us. This is when Jesus comes in and he finishes it up, takes it from there, right? Again, completeness, right? He leads us to completeness, and that's only through Jesus. And that's when we need him. So what if, as a church, we began to be people who focus on taking care of the poor or taking care of the people who are hurting? 
We have uh, an excellent opportunity right now, as Pastor Drew mentioned last week, and you maybe have gotten an email from the church, that there is this opportunity to help a family in need right now. There, there's a, a child named uh, Justin Hassler who's, whose family is going through some really hard times. His mother and his, sis- and his sister were, were in an accident. They're, they're on the brink of losing some things right now. They're in a v- very difficult time. So there's an opportunity for us to help with the Benevolence Fund to help this family out. So while the world says one thing, Jesus calls us to live differently. If we look in Matthew, actually chapter 5, just a little bit further down and starting in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's totally opposite of what this world would expect. I think the world would expect, if if, if I have an enemy, if someone is hurting me, I'm going to go hurt them back. I'm going to retaliate. But Jesus says, love them. Pray for them. It's a contradiction of what this world would tell us to do. So as we go through, as we continue here in Matthew chapter 5, the next observation here and the final point that Jesus is making is that Jesus emphasizes that we are strangers in this world. Continue in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are persecuted, They seek to be obedient to God, to to be right with God. This is where the righteousness uh, comes into play. Uh, They can be condemned by people who don't have the same view as them and then be ridiculed by those same people. Jesus says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of heaven being the eternal reward for those who are persecuted for his name's sake. And we continue here, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said to rejoice when when we're persecuted for our faith. That doesn't really seem like something uh, that we would naturally uh, tend towards, right? We wouldn't want to rejoice when we're persecuted. But, but let's look at potential uh, benefits or, or outcomes of rejoicing through those difficult times. One is it keeps our eyes off of earthly rewards. It strips away a belief in Jesus that may be superficial. That, that instead we believe in him and have every intent to follow him. It strengthens our faith as we endure through those tough times. Our attitude through it serves as an encouragement for other believers. And that one there kind of hits home for me. Yeah, am I reflecting the things that, that God has done in my life? That even though maybe I've been persecuted through, through some tough times, how am I uh, reflecting that? 
Am I sulking in a corner somewhere saying, oh, woe is me. I'm going through a lot of crap right now, and, and, and where's Jesus in this? Or am I saying, Lord, you know, I believe that you're going to help me right now, and I know from here on out I am taken care of by you. That's an encouragement for people who are going through probably the similar difficult thing in their life as well. Jesus was talking to his disciples directly about this, and it it was really like a telling of their future, right? Because they all get persecuted for their belief in Jesus and their uh, preaching of Jesus' message to people in need. They died teaching the gospel, but they didn't care. They kept on doing what God and what Jesus told them to go and do. So if you want to live for God, you have to be ready to say and do what seems strange to the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And some translation it says, strangers and aliens, to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's our nature to fall into what the world expects us to do. That's why as, as Christ followers, you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle between uh, n- the natural versus the calling. But we are called to be different. We need to give when others take. We need to love when others hate. We need to help when others abuse. By giving up our own rights in order to serve others, we'll one day receive what God has promised for us. Right? We hear what God is saying and then we need to go and do what he says. There's a show, it's a reality TV game show called The Amazing Race. I think some of you may be seen it. It's, uh, what it is, it's, uh, it's a race uh, of teams of two that uh, go around the world against uh, some of the other teams. And, and what they try to do is try to get to uh, the end of the leg of that race and be the first ones. Because if they're not, there's a potential for them to get eliminated. Right? It's kind of like a, a scavenger hunt on steroids, I think. It's probably the best way to put it. Right? But it's, it's worldwide. It seemed, that'd be probably like a fun thing to go and do. Right? So this is an amazing race. But I feel sometimes maybe we're also in a race of our own. It may be a race to find happiness, peace, and joy. And we think that maybe success, fame, stuff, maybe more stuff will get us there. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us that all we need is him. The Sermon on the Mount is designed to show us our need for Jesus. We were created to live in the kingdom of heaven, but that doesn't start someday. It starts today. It starts when you say yes to Jesus, that you're going to commit your life to him. When you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that kingdom starts today. But living in the kingdom of heaven looks very different than what we're used to. It's the kind of life that is impossible to live without his grace. So, so it, what it's telling us is that we, we really need to just drive ourselves to Jesus because we can't do it without him. And so Jesus' sermon is meant to drive 
you to himself. And, and we can approach this from, from one of two directions. Maybe some of you, you're, you're sitting here and you're hearing what we've been talking about this morning. And then you look at this life, you hear about this life and you're like, whoa, I have no clue what this life is that you're talking about. I'm this outsider looking in on a life that I am not familiar with. And what Jesus is doing here is he, he's trying to provoke you to come to an end of yourself. That you lay aside yourself to recognize that you don't have a pure heart, but you need one. You don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, but you should. He's trying to get you to humble yourself before him and accept him through faith in him so you can experience the life that he wants you to live. And then the other way you can approach this, this other direction here is maybe you are one who has given your life to Jesus. You're familiar with this life. You know this life like the back of your hand. You know what Jesus' calling is in your life. But the message here is to open up your eyes to maybe realize that, whoa, I've been, this is the life I'm supposed to live? <laughs> is, this, is this what it really means? Because, boy, I'm like way off. Right? Samsonite. Uh, slippy, slappy. I, I don't know. That, what this, is this what it really means to, to live the life that, that Jesus called me to live? We need to die to ourselves. We need grace. We need mercy. We need to grow in righteousness. We need to be like that tax collector. Lord, if I'm supposed to live like this, then I need to get on my knees. I need to be going to you asking you to be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. So which direction do you fall? Which, which direction are you coming from as you hear this message from Jesus? The Beatitudes reveal in us our need for Jesus, but also provides a vision toward salvation. And so where do we go from here? This is a... It is a I know, I think I, I've said this before. I feel like the past few times I've shared with you, it's always been a tough one. Right? I think uh, Pastor Jew kind of makes it on purpose. You know, and, hey, I'm going to give you the hard one. Okay. Um, but the message here I, I know is difficult to hear, but I want you to know there's a lot of love in it. Because Jesus doesn't want us to, to stay where we're at if we're not having that relationship that he wants us to have with him. He wants more for us. And we can't just be living a life just kind of just doing our own thing, uh, status quo, whatever. There's something more. And he's challenging us to, to get to that point. And, and he's given us a, a list of, of what it's like to be a blessed R. So it's really up to us to, to pay attention, to see throughout this week what are these opportunities that God has given us to be maybe a peacemaker? What opportunities has he given us to maybe look within ourselves and say, Lord, I need you in this. This is not through my own power, but it's my reliance on you 
and your provisions? Where are you trying to find happiness right now? Is Jesus telling you, have you found me? What are you thirsty for this week? Is it the kingdom of heaven or are you trying to hit the jackpot somewhere else? The one thing, again, like I mentioned before, is that we already have our jackpot in Jesus and the salvation that he offers us. So are we willing to accept that? Remember, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's, it's not an easy life. I've been a Christ follower for a lot of years. I think uh, it's probably like 30-something years now. And, and there's days where I still know where to go. There are days where I just feel like I'm kind of just swirling in a toilet bowl, not knowing what's happening in my life and what direction I need to go. But one thing I've realized throughout these years is that the direction that God gives is, is made clear. I just got to listen to him. I just need to hear him. I need to break into his word, spend time in his word, reading about him, reading about the kingdom that he has, reading about his love, reading about the love he has for others, and spending time on my knees and praying because I, I can't make it through this world without him. Maybe for some of us here, we, we've kind of just been doing it for so long on our own. And that's all you know. So what is this life that you're telling me about, Ron? Is it worth it? I say it is. Because again, this, this world only gives you things that, that moth and rust will destroy. But what, gives us, what Jesus gives you is eternal life. And the cool thing about it is that you don't have to be alone in this, right? We're all here in this together. We'd encourage each other. We love one another and help us through this journey of life, living in this world as strangers and aliens. Let's pray together.